언론 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 Welcome to Alone with Peter. I'm your host, and on this podcast, you're going to hear interviews with entrepreneurs, artists, digital nomads, and people seeking personal growth. We'll dive deep into what set them on their journey, where they are now, and how their story can impact you, including any helpful insights if you aspire to take a similar leap of faith. No matter where you are on the journey, thank you for spending some quality time alone with Peter. Today we're talking to someone who crosses a lot of those lines. I'm excited to have David McNeil on the show for a few reasons. David is the founder of Expat Empire, a business designed to inspire you to move abroad, giving you the tools you need to make that plunge swimmingly. We'll talk about how he got started and what Expat Empire has to offer you in your international journey. David is also a podcaster, traveler, and I'd call him a digital nomad, but we'll get into what that term even means. He's lived in Tokyo, Berlin, and now Porto, Portugal, and he's fluent in Japanese. We'll focus quite a bit on David's experience with Japan as it's an integral part of his story and something I'm personally invested in. In part one, we're talking about David's childhood, travel, cultural exchange, and Japanese studies. Stick around because this is going to be a really fun three-part interview, concluding with some helpful tips for you if you're interested in doing something similar. So without further ado, let's get into our interview with David McNeil of Expat Empire. Well, David, that's kind of a weird tease, but I want to get started by saying, how the heck are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here and talk about my story. And, you know, I know we've talked about yours as well. So a lot of things that we have in common and uh, I'm sure, you know, paths that will cross hopefully physically one of these days, but definitely at least in spirit. Oh, dude, I would be so excited to meet you in Portugal for a beer, which brings me to my first question. Tell us where you're from originally, but uh, cats out of the bag. Where are you right now? Yeah, so I'm originally from the United States, and as to where there, it's a little hard to pin down, but I was born in Northern California, so maybe that's the easiest answer, but we moved around growing up a lot. Um, But now I am based in Porto, Portugal, or actually just outside of Porto, the downtown in an area called Matosinhos, which is more of a beach town vibe that we've got going on over here. And yeah, I guess that brings me up to where I am today, but definitely I'm sure we'll dive into all the good stuff in between. Oh, we are definitely going to dive into a whole smorgasbord of things because the way that Alone Peter is designed is we spend a lot of intimate time with our guests. Uh, we do three-part interviews. So today in this episode, we're going to be getting into your backstory. So I hope you're ready to talk about some, some stuff because I want to get an idea of who David McNeil is. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to do that, we have to talk about who not who you were, but mm-hmm. where you came from. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what it was like moving around so much, because it sounds like you're from San Francisco, but that's not where you stayed all the time. Right, right. So yeah, we moved many times growing up, um, you know, mom, dad, and my, and my sister, younger sister, um, mostly because of my parents' jobs one way or another. It wasn't military or anything, but 
my dad was working in visual effects for, uh, you know, motion pictures for films for a while. And my mom was a teacher. So, um, you know, but she also got positions at, uh, she has a PhD and got a position at university and things like that. So for her job, we moved sometimes for my dad's job, we moved sometimes. And, um, yeah, I, I think that was a big part of just my experience growing up, obviously having to deal with that, but also learning that I could kind of, you know, pick up my life and go make new friends and uh, get comfortable in different environments. And mostly it was the West Coast and the South. Um, I actually spent most of my years growing up, the childhood in Alabama, in Mobile, Alabama, or nearby there, um, where my grandparents are as well. So that's a big change from somewhere like California. And then also even going back there to the Los Angeles area for high school. So, you know, huge uh, cultural shift, even within the United States. And yeah. then from there, it was like, okay, um, you know, where for college? And for me, it was like, you know, there's a lot of great schools here in California, but I would like to go somewhere totally different. So for me, it ended up being the University of Texas at Austin. Um, I applied to all out-of-state schools, but ended up going there and yeah, just ultimately continued my career in different cities as well. So it's, um, I think it had a huge impact on my desire to experience something different. And eventually that became certainly like getting abroad as well. I always laugh when I ask that question, where are you from to somebody who's a traveler? Because I find this always a caveat. It's like, well, I'm technically I'm from this place, but I'm also from here. Right. Is that how you feel? Yeah, it's it's always hard to pin down and, you know, I want to give an honest answer, but, you know, I have to talk like that for a while to try to explain it. And even then it doesn't really get like I missed a couple of places when I just gave that overview. Um, and especially when you're abroad, because I think because now I would view, you know, my home, for example, here in Portugal more than I feel connected to the United States. But of course, I'm from there. I'm not you know Portuguese. I'm not local. And, um, and then there's the other weird aspect of it where at least, you know, in other places, especially in a place like Japan, but frankly, all over that I've lived and I've visited when you say the United States, they're like, great. So you're, are you from New York city or are you from Los Angeles or are you from San Francisco? Basically it's like you have three options. And luckily I could say at times San Francisco, I could say Los Angeles, but there were also times where I wasn't living in those places and it's hard to know how to respond in a way that they would really be able to, you know, to get it. And of course the U S is huge and geography is pretty much hard for everybody, but it's, um, it's nice to be, to say, be able to say I'm from a place that they can connect with on some level, even from the Hollywood movies and TV shows, but, um, you know, may not be, of course, that's not a authentic view, but it doesn't also gather all of my experience, even within the U S. I'm smiling because I remember from my experience living in Europe that it felt like if a European were to draw a map, which before I say this, Europeans are actually pretty good about knowing where other countries are because they're surrounded by so many different countries. Mm -hmm. The U.S. is almost like a bunch of different little countries together, but it's so big that it's, you know, it's, it's just a weird difference, right? But when Europeans, I feel like if they were going to draw a map, it would be... California, in the middle is Texas, the bottom right corner is Disney World, and then the top is New York. That's what people know. And then if you're like saying you're from someplace like Arizona, I don't know what that is. Maybe they go, oh, Cowboys or something like that. But I, you made a point earlier. 
I don't know how much people really reflect on this enough that the U.S. is so different culturally. Already in your childhood, traveling from San Francisco to Mobile, Alabama to Los Angeles and the other places that you've been, it was our huge cultural shifts. Did you feel that as a child moving around? Like, what was your experience of culture? Yeah, I'm sure I did on some level, but maybe not too consciously, admittedly. I mean, so I, I mentioned also that, um, you know, I went to high school in the LA area. I went to university at the University of Texas at Austin. I didn't have really much of any other experience with Texas. And even then, I mean, I was just in and around Austin, which is its own, you know, unique city and vibe. And I just remember in my uh, freshman year of university, like in the first semester, I was asked by somebody, oh, did you did you decide to come to Austin because it's more kind of progressive and liberal and so on? And I just looked at her and I couldn't even really understand what she was saying uh, because it wasn't even a thing that I thought about. Like it wasn't about kind of necessarily about culture or politics at that point or anything. It was just about like, this is a cool city. And for that matter, you know, they have a great university and I got into a good program. And also a big thing for me is I love concerts and I love going to like see live music and that's quote unquote, the live music capital of the world, <laughs> I think debatable. Uh, but, you know, it was a great place to, to go to school and to uh, experience kind of, I don't know, the quote unquote culture in Austin. But I just, I, I would, I guess what I thought too, even going from, yeah, Mobile to, to Los Angeles was, well, great, we get to go to the big city. And of course, for me, there was, I was also around the time that I started getting interested in Japanese and there were actual Japanese programs there. And, you know, it was like, just, I loved the idea of exploring something new, but it wasn't, I wouldn't put it too much in some sort of sort of cultural way, in a sense, it was just like, it was new and big and interesting and I wanted to dive in and like just soak it all in, you know, wherever it was and what whatever it brought. So I'm not going to skirt over the Japanese, but we're going to talk about it a little bit later. I want to touch sure, on something sure. else you just said. It seems like for you, the first or second choice about a location is not about, like you said, the politics or the demographic necessarily. It's about other things. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that really attract you to a different location? I think one of the things that I love just in general, not just about even living somewhere, but traveling somewhere as well is I think my favorite thing and what I always look forward to on some level, I love going to a new place is just the feeling of putting in your headphones, listening to some music and walking around and getting lost. And I, I always kind of deep down on some level, you know, even continuing today have that wanderlust. I think it's just somewhere like deep inside of me. And I think that's true for a lot of travelers and expats and so on. And so um, I think, you know, that's something that I'm always searching out. And I love to visit a place again the second time. And of course, you can't typically see everything the first time, depending, depending of course, how big the city is. But, um, but there is something that's really special about seeing a place for the first time and just having that feeling of like, you don't know, you know, you turn right, you don't know what you're going to find. And then you don't know if you can get back. And obviously... <laughs> it's aided by things like Google Maps, and I'm not saying I'm completely <laughs> lost to the world, but it's it's a it's a great experience, and it's always interesting to move to a new place and then have that, and then after a couple of weeks or months, you kind of feel like you know the place more or less like the back of your hand, and then you end up desiring that that feeling again. So it's it keeps me it's something that keeps me going. Okay, this brings me to a question that I often think about. 
And I know the answer for myself, but I'd be curious to hear what you think. And then in general, what do you think the answer is? In my experience, the people who are the most traveled or who just enjoy living abroad long-term the most are people who look at cultural differences, differences in location, even some of the crazy things that happen in travel. They look at those quote-unquote differences as exciting rather than scary. Yeah, absolutely. I think the same. Uh, I mean, that I do try as I can to, you know, see different festivals or holidays or, you know, uh, interact and engage with different traditions and, and, you know, festivities and things like that. And so I think that's a a great part of it. And what I've often thought, and this is even true in the United States, for example, in university, but as I've moved into different uh, cities and countries around the world, is that that first year that I'm somewhere is while it's it's really hard, I mean, you know, just all the paperwork and getting settled and finding a place and making friends and all that stuff that comes with it, it's also the most exciting and engaging because you haven't necessarily experienced, you know, Christmas in that culture or whatever their local holidays are and things like that. And so that first year is so absolutely packed with, you know, that wanderlust feeling and and, you know, getting everything set up. And what typically happens is I go into year two. And it's still usually pretty good, but it's like a big step down in terms of the excitement around that exploring something brand new because it's like, oh yeah, I remember this from last year or, you know, that, that, that was fun, but maybe I'll just stay in this year or whatever, you know? And, um, I luckily, at least here in Portugal, I feel like now having been here, just, just rounding up on two years, I actually still really, you know, really love it here. And there's more that I want to dig into. And I mean, part of that's probably also because of the pandemic that we're going through. Can't do as much as I would have liked. But um, but I'm glad to be in that mindset today, as opposed to most of the countries and places I've been in things where it's like that first year is full on. And then I start thinking about where's next. That is a really, that is a really interesting take. And I appreciate the the honest answer that because I've noticed this with people that I've met traveling. They're very interesting people. They've been to a lot of different places, but they feel somehow like they're, they can't stick around long. They need to get out. Mm -hmm. And I wonder for you, have you ever felt like, wow, I really, is it a discomfort thing or is it just you're so excited to try the next thing? Like, Because it's a very different challenge to grow root somewhere than it is to experience something new, take off again. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and I think that's that's the sort of strange part, as I mentioned, that one year that it takes to kind of get acquainted with everything and comfortable. And that's the most exciting time. So on the one hand, when you're going, at least in my experience, when I'm going to year two, I maybe am starting to get that wanderlust again. But on the other hand, that's the at the point where I've actually settled into the place to some degree. You've made friends, you've got the apartment, you got the job or whatever it is the situation is. And so there is a push and pull there. Like there's the part of you that wants to go and explore and get out. And I mean, of course you can travel on the weekends and things like that, but maybe, um, you know, there's a, there's a, I guess kind of a FOMO element of it, but there's also that idea of like, 
who knows how many years you have on this earth and that type of thing. And so it's like you want to pack in a lot of stuff and don't necessarily, at least in my case, you know, never wanted to sort of wait until the retirement years. I think it's safe to say that if you listen to this show on a regular basis, you probably agree with David that life is about the experiences and how we treat people along the way. I've been enjoying this interview with David so much, and I hope you have been as well. If you find value in Aloma Peter, I ask that you leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. And if you want to talk more to David McNeil in a follow-up Q&A at some point down the road, let me know on Instagram at Peter. Send me a DM, leave a comment on one of the posts. I'd love to have him back on the show, but I want to hear what you guys think. So with that, let's get back to David from Expat Empire. So there's that type of thing. I think that was driving me when I was younger of like, I just had this idea of I want to live in all the big cities of the world. And I didn't clarify or define that. And eventually I realized that that was kind of <laughs> not, I mean, not impossible, but probably just not as much fun as it sounded uh, experience of getting, you know, again, like pulling out the roots and going through the process all over again. But that was, that was definitely what I was feeling up front. So I do think that there's, um, I think it changes over time, but I think that there's a push and pull in making the roots and not, and then also leaving them shallow enough to where it's not horribly painful to, to pull them out. I'm glad you used that analogy because that's exactly how I felt in the past is the longer you stay somewhere, the more time you have to spread roots deep, right? I remember feeling like when I was leaving South Korea, which I lived there for a year. You said a year, it usually takes to to get, you know, really accustomed and get comfortable and stuff. I was fortunate enough to have made some really deep connections even within that time. Not to say that other people don't, of course they do. But I felt like I was so blessed in that place that I made really strong connections with Koreans. And so leaving, I felt like, like a potted plant kind of, like my roots were pretty deep, but they weren't so deep that you couldn't pull them out. They're just going to bring some of the soil with it. And I wonder how much you want to build roots at this point versus keep them shallow at this stage in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's definitely changed. And I mean, part of that is shown by, okay, I said before I wanted to be in these big cities. So I did before I had left the U.S., I was in San Francisco, then I was in Tokyo, then I was in Berlin. And then we moved to a very small beach beach town in Portugal. So totally different vibe. Um, yeah, also, you know, got married uh, two years ago, a little over two years ago as well. So that's right before we moved to Portugal. So that's kind of part of it too. But it's all of that. Um, I think it's just a changing, you know, life stage. But at this point, we do intend to be here in Portugal for the foreseeable future, hopefully for the next few years. You never know. I, I, <laughs> I've i moved uh, now a few times before I thought that I might do so. Or, you know, when you start out, you think it'll be maybe the rest of your years, but then you kind of, you never know. But um, at this point, trying to trying to put down the roots, maybe not completely. I don't know. I, I would doubt that this is the last spot just because of how it's been so far. Um, if I were to put my money, it would be somewhere else, but not because it's not, you know, Portugal's amazing, but just uh, the way that these things go. Um, so trying to put those out there and not try at this point to think too much about 
any consequences of that down the road because I think we have a more long-term view than than I had in the past. How much of that is being present versus thinking ahead? Mm, yeah, that's a hard one because I think the I, I think it's a great question. I think that I I thought about it more like I did have some I guess challenges in the end for being present when my mind was always thinking ahead, but. I do think that there was an element of just that wanderlust that kept like flooding in. So in a way, if I, I mean, I, I sort of, I also know people that have been in like Berlin and that's their first city abroad for five plus years. Or of course, I knew people in Japan that were, um, you know, there for 10, 20 years. So there's the people who make it for the long haul and maybe they don't have those thoughts or they aren't as strong. But I think at that time in my life, it was that thing that was just like, I need to, you know, there, there's only so, so many minutes in the day and so many, you know, days in the year. Like I got to, you know, keep it going. Like I got to keep living this life and like exploring. And, um, and so that was coming up and I was trying to still, I, I guess I thought about it this way. I thought, okay, I, I want to, whenever I thought about making a move to another country or another city, I thought, I want to get to the point, I want to have done the things and said the things and mostly like seeing the sites or doing, you know, this or that activity that's known for the place. I want to do those things such that I'm in a position where if an opportunity were to come up, I would feel no regret in taking it because I had done those things that I wanted to do. And, um, you know, that was my mentality around it. And so it was still trying to be present and to get those things done, but there was still maybe a checklist type mentality to it, uh, obviously to some degree. Um, but now it's, it's, now, I mean, I guess I'm looking forward in different ways. I mean, in terms of the the lifestyle that we built here, uh, the business as well. You know, we can talk all, on all that later. But I think the the goals are different, and sort of the and and maybe that's still looking forward, but but still trying to be present. You know, it's all it's it's hard to do both, right? It is one of the hardest balancing acts I've ever tried to maneuver. I want to highlight a couple of things you said because you said some really cool stuff there, in my opinion. First of all. I really relate, and I think others would do as well, to what you're saying about wanting to explore a new place and not enough hours in the day and just feeling like, man, I need to see this other thing because who knows, you know, life is short, so life is sweet. I need to be taking action and, and seeing what the world has to offer and, and that excitement that comes with that, right? Like, I want to understand what what is life like in Portugal? What Who are the people in Berlin? You know, how do you become friends with someone in Japan? Like, those are, for certain types of people, yourself and myself, those are the kinds of things that I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about. I just get so <laughs> excited. The culture yeah. part of it to me is so and alluring. I just really want to it's almost like a challenge. Like how do I relate to this person and build a relationship with this unique person, but also in this unique culture that there's an openness that is necessary there. So I really appreciate, and I wanted to highlight that. The other side of it is not everybody's, there's there's degrees to this, right? Like you mentioned, there's people you met 20 years in Japan. I don't know if I do 20 years in Japan. I really like Japan. I don't know if I do 20 years because I get that FOMO thing, right? I don't know how much of that is just, hey, I'm down with deep roots. I'm okay with that. I want to be somewhere different, but I want to, you know, so there's that side of it. And then I also really appreciated how you're willing to talk about how that changes. You know, as you get older, as you get married, I'm sure being married has got to have been a huge part of that, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it it was in a really good way. I mean, I think I had just after doing that whole thing of starting from scratch and you know, the dating scene and going to clubs and doing this whole nightlife thing for a while, like it was fun. And I mean, there's obviously an attractive, like elusive, you know, whatever element to it, it's fun. And it was good for those times. But I think what I realized, at least in my case, time and time again, was I did have like sort of desire to settle down at some point. And um, yeah, I just met, you know, the perfect person at the perfect time when I was there in Berlin and that, you know, we soon started thinking about where it was next for us and it took, you know, we can talk through it later, but it took us a while to make that happen. But, um, but we started it off, I think on the right foot with the right mentality and, um, and making the move now, I mean, it's totally different to move with somebody else opposed to moving on your own. I still remember going from Tokyo to Berlin and I landed in Berlin. I checked into a Airbnb and, you know, again, I had just gotten off this like long, long flight. Right. And, uh, I, but I went, I checked meetup.com. I saw there was some people, there were people meeting at a, at a bar, went over there met these people. Then they said, Hey, we're going to a club. And I'm like, great, let's go do it. You know? And I didn't actually last that long because I was just so like zoned out and like, I was just like, I need to go back to bed. And it was probably only 1am or something, which is like the early night in uh, for these clubs <laughs> in Berlin. But, uh, but it, it just, you know, that was my mentality was like literally hit the ground running. Like, you know, um, now to maybe to say, uh, make a comparison to moving to Portugal with my wife was me hitting the ground running was we arrived. And then two days later, two, two nights, uh, two nights later, I started my Portuguese lessons. That's way tamer, still hitting the ground running, but in a way that's much tamer and more like, I don't know, adult or boring or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and, but it, I think it goes to show just the difference in mentality, the difference in lifestyle and what you're looking for. And I think that's the beauty of being abroad and trying to keep doing that is just looking for those places and those opportunities and countries and cities and people that make you feel at home that, you know, align with what you're looking for at that time, because I'm not going to, you know, maybe I'm not always looking for this. I don't know, but at this point it's great, but that's how I felt about those other places as well. Um, and now, you know, this is a good fit for right now. Uh, this classic example of 20 versus 30. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, going to the club exactly. until 1am the second you get into a place versus starting your Portuguese lessons right away. I love that. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I think that sums it up pretty well. I mean, at bo in both ways, I think probably, yeah, hitting the ground too hard because I think what I learned quickly in both those scenarios, or both those situations was okay, like I need, it's fine to take some time to get this thing sorted, but on one hand it's yeah, parties and friends and fun. And the other hand, it's like, you know, that was a more the wanting to adapt and adjust, you know, that was it's a very different motivation, right? <laughs> no, but I appreciate the comparison because either way it, you're taking your personality into account. You definitely are a go-getter. And I've also noticed that you are someone who's looking to go where opportunity takes you. And we're gonna to touch on that more, but I would be remiss not to go back a little bit in time and in our conversation. How much your dad being a visual effects guy, your mom being a teacher, moving around, first of all, how is their attitude about the world and work, how has that impacted you? I think it's impacted me 
quite significantly, but not in the sense of like, okay, we grew up in foreign countries and this thing and that. But I think it was just more, again, of that openness to different experiences, different parts of the U.S., but also we traveled, I mean, not extensively, but we'd take a cruise to Mexico or we, you know, went for a couple of weeks to Europe and we did those kind of things. We went to Costa Rica for, you know, two weeks or we did this and that. And I think those types of experiences were really, you know, instrumental and fundamental in me wanting to continue going abroad. Because I think once you see that and how different it is, and when you have some sort of, I don't know if you're born with that wanderlust or how it develops, it's hard to say. But I think when you have something like that, or, or that seed starts inside of you um, and starts to grow, I think you start to realize, well, if you really want to have some wanderlust, if you really want to explore somewhere new, that's going to be outside of your home country, even though, as we talked about, different parts of the U.S. are so different as well. So it was kind of that feeling that there's just something out there and um, it's it's different. And I, I'd also point out, which I like to do and give credit where it's due, is, is also my grandpa, actually, because he was in the, the Navy for 20 years and he, uh, early in his naval career, uh, did a world cruise for like nine months and would always tell me these stories. And I think he did two of them, but I really remember the stories from the first one where he was seeing Japan, for example, you know, obviously the port and more of the military you know, type environment than the core of Japan. But seeing that, I think it was in 1950 or somewhere around there. And it was just like, you know, right after the war. And it's just, hard for me to even imagine really. And I think those types of stories, I, I always felt like if I ever become a grandpa or something, you know, which I, at this point, no kids. So <clears throat> we will see what happens. But if I were ever in that situation, or obviously we're talking to kids when I'm, you know, friends and family and stuff, when I'm in my eighties, like my grandpa, I would love to be able to tell those stories of my time. And I think that was always something that was like, it's always been underneath a lot of this is just that desire to like fully live life, experience a lot of stuff, have a lot of war stories of my own way, but hopefully not actually in the war zone. <laughs> I hope not. Um, I try to avoid those, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's trying to reduce regret and to have those experiences and just to be living life fully because, you know, you never know how long it, it lasts. That is so fascinating. And I, I feel like we could talk about your backstory a lot longer, but I'd like to make a quick shift here because I sure. think you have provided me a good opening. Your <laughs> grandpa serving, doing that world cruise, and specifically telling you stories about Japanese, is that where your interest in Japan came in? I think that was uh, one factor, certainly. I, there were many, um, but that was one. I mean, definitely give the credit there. Another piece uh, of many was that my dad growing up, and maybe it was that connection that my grandpa had with Japan in some way, but my dad growing up had uh, exchange students, Japanese exchange students staying at his house uh, you know, with my grandparents and his sister and brother and everything. So, um, But it was at a time where my dad was around 16, 17, the, the students were around the same age. So hearing those stories, seeing the old photos, you know, so there were all of those, those pieces. Hold, that hold on a second. There. Sorry. When, yeah. when would this have been? This would have been in the, the 70s, see, the 80s. Uh, yeah. The 70s, the 70s, late 70s, I guess. That is really interesting. I mean, it's not, mm -hmm. it's pretty far removed from World War II already, but, um, 
you know, your grandpa having served right around that time. I think that mm-hmm. is really cool. Yeah, yeah. It was through the church, I believe. I think it was somehow related to that. And I don't know the, you know, you know, religious element of it. But at, at any rate, they, I believe, coordinated it that way. And somehow they got in this list of people that, you know, were open and willing to take folks. And um, yeah, I mean, just hearing the stories from that time. And if I could, you know, I mean, we could talk about it later. But uh, but I actually helped my dad reconnect with this this guy 30 years later after I moved to Japan. Oh so. my <laughs> gosh. Yes, we will. We will yeah. definitely have to touch on that. That is so exciting. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, but uh, all of those pieces, I mean, to your original question, it was all that family stuff, but also getting into Japanese culture and animation, the the video games, all of that, um, you know, all of those pieces played a role. And, and it just sort of, there's more to it, but I, those are the main pieces that really kind of made me start getting that interest and then moving that direction. And then quickly it became a passion. Fascinating stuff. David McNeil, founder of Expat Empire on Alone with Peter. This is just the first taste, guys. This is part one of our three-part interview. And oh my gosh, I'm fired up. This is going to be so good. Obviously, we're seeing a little bit of a trend here with Japanese being in the middle. Okay, so guess what? On the next episode of Alone with Peter, we're going to be talking about David's move to Japan, the pains of travel, how he understands that, and we're going to see how that plays in a little bit more later on to what he's doing right now. And also, we're going to talk a lot more about fluency in Japanese, learning another language, the challenges that come with that, and the cultural aspects that come with that of living in a country that's so different from your own. And we're also going to be talking about taking what is given. What does that mean? As well as the birth of expat empire all coming up on the second episode of alone with peter with david mcneil thank you for tuning in and we'll see you guys next monday